All right. Will you take your Bibles and turn with us to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Old Testament book of Proverbs. We're going to look at Proverbs chapter 3. It's in the daily Bible reading. It's in the heart of the daily Bible reading for this week. And so I want to look at it. Certainly the question that it's got 35 verses, you're going to say, I don't know how you can get through 35 verses. We'll do pretty much an overview. But the big question is, what is Proverbs 33 all about? The book of Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's all about knowledge. It's all about understanding. It's all about how to acquire those things. It's all about how God wants us to live our daily lives. And interspersed among the verses of Proverbs are those verses that take us to Christ and the need that we have to be saved. But if I were to give you an overview, let me simply say that the book of Proverbs has about 12 plus commandments. It begins in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1, my son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. And notice right off the bat that he says, my son, do not forget my law, but adds the words, let your heart keep my commands. Not just your head. Not just your mind, but your heart. You see, and the reason why that's important is because I think that because we are human beings with a sinful nature, redeemed as they are, in each of us, we don't like to be told what to do. And commands can rub us the wrong way. And they often do. But if the commands come from someone who is looking out for our best interests, if the commands come from someone who is concerned about our lives and cares about us and wants to keep us safe and wants us to prosper, one who truly loves us, then those commands are much easier to follow. The one who said commands without a relationship are very difficult to obey. Whoever said that was right. It's implied all through Scripture. And so when I see these 12 commands, 12 plus commands, uh, I look at them and I say, what in the book of Proverbs helps us to understand that from the heart these are some of the most wonderful things God is asking us to do? Well, let me say that I got to add this. The, the commands are there for us to follow. But there's also 11 sins that are not described but are listed there for us. And I just want to bring them to your attention so that when you're reading through Proverbs 3, you don't forget that they are there. And you don't forget that we're all susceptible to forgetting God's word. We're all susceptible to forsaking the Lord. We're all susceptible to our own understanding and what we think is right in our own eyes. We're all susceptible to that. We're know-it-alls sometimes. We are all susceptible to despising the chastening of the Lord, to detesting His correction. We're all susceptible to departing from His wise counsel. 
We're all susceptible to being afraid when trouble comes. We're susceptible to devising evil against our neighbors. We're susceptible to striving with others without a cause, without a reason. And we're all susceptible to envying other people. And those are 11 sins that are listed here. I don't want to focus on them. I'm hoping that from the heart we will be so interested in what God wants us to do that they don't even need to show up on the radar. But God contrasts his command with, you know, this is what I want you to do, but this is what you might end up doing instead. And so God does a third thing in Proverbs. He gives to us reasons for everything he tells us to do. And God is always like that. If you're using, we provide these out in the foyer for you to bring in. And uh, they are a little worksheet that we give to you to use on Sunday morning and um, Wednesday evening. And you can take some home with you on your personal daily Bible study. But you'll know that uh, we, I think personally, there are six questions that are important for all of us to answer anytime we read a passage of Scripture. We need to know what the, what the problem is for us to endure or the blessing that is for us to embrace. We need to know the sin to avoid or the attitude to change. We need to know the command to obey or the example to follow. And I use colored pencils and blue is my colored pencil for the third thing. We need to know the truth that God wants us to believe or the promise that he wants us to claim. And all the reasons God gives to us when he commands us to do what he wants us to do, I highlight in my Bible in blue. And when I highlighted this chapter, I don't know, you can't see it from the back. I know you can't see it back there. You might be able to see a little bit of it from the front. Almost the whole chapter is in blue. And that tells me something about God that is so important for me to do if I want to warm up to his commands and obey him faithfully. It tells me an awful lot. You see, because all of these reasons are all about a satisfying life, God is offering that. It's all about finding uh, favor with God. It's all about having a roadmap to use to navigate all of the trials and the difficulties that we have in this life. It's all about health and vitality. It's all about, and I've picked these right from the text for the most part, with very little, very little commentary, very little paraphrasing. It's all about having plenty and being prosperous. It's all about God delighting in us. It's all about owning things that are precious instead of cheap merchandise. I did paraphrase that one. We go through life owning cheap merchandise when we could own precious things. It's all about safety. It's all about making, uh, not making a ton of mistakes in our lives. It's all about sleeping peacefully and God blessing our homes. Because all of those things are couched in the reasons that God has given to us. The reasons that God has given to us. Now, Gary Smalley wrote a book entitled The Key to Your Child's Heart. And uh, Gary Smalley, in the second chapter of his book, talks about parenting, uh, styles, the way we parent. And you know, there are lots of parenting styles out there. There are all kinds of studies on styles and all kinds of studies uh, on uh, what characteristics parents tend to have. And, and they're kind of classified in certain areas. 
and he uses a study that classifies parenting styles in four different areas. Now, what I want you to do is I don't want you to think of just human parents here, but I want you to think of God in relationship to this. Is this any way that God would parent us? For instance, I'm picking three statements for you to identify if you happen to be reading this book and you want to find out what your parenting style is. I give you, he gives you several statements. I'm just picking three of each. And they will identify for you what your basic style is in your response to your kids. If you say, for instance, work it out by yourself. Can't you see I'm busy? Or you say, no, I'm expected somewhere else tonight. Get your mother to help you or your dad. Or that's your problem. I've got to get to work. That usually is indicative of a certain parenting style. And I think all of us would shake our heads and say, "Ah, God's not that kind of a parent. God's not that kind of a parent. God is never too busy for us. How about this parenting style? Rules are rules. You're late to bed with no dinner. Or I won't stand for your back talk. Apologize. Or number three... Number three, he's real dramatic on these statements, by the way. We may be a lot less (laughs) dramatic when we share these with our kids. You don't need reasons. Just do what I say. Or I don't care how many of your friends will be there. It's my fourth one. You're not going, and I don't want to hear another word about it. Do you hear? And we look at that, and we say, "Ah, you know what? I I don't think God is like that. I don't think God is like that. God cares about what we think. God cares about how we're processing our information. God wants us to reach the same conclusion he reaches when he commands us to do something. Now he gives a couple of other parenting styles. I'll pass for the moment. And I want to go to the book of you. Keep your finger in Proverbs chapter 3 and let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 1 for just a second here. I want to illustrate God and his, uh, his care and concern to give to us reasons for doing what he asks us to do so that we can do it from the heart. Boy, if you can connect with God and the reason he asked you to do something, if you can clearly see the connection in your relationship then, then doing what he asks you to do is a lot easier, isn't it? Amen? Amen. All right. So in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 and following, you know that Isaiah was written, obviously, to warn the children of Israel that they were walking down the wrong path. They were going down the road wrong. They were moving in the wrong direction. And God wants to turn them around. And God is offering to do that. He says in verse 16, wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. That's quite a few commands in there, just in that short period of uh, two verses there. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see eight commands. But notice what he says next. God says, come now and let us reason together. Let's sit down and talk about this. Let me share with you why I am telling you to do this. Let me share with you why I want you to obey me in these commands. 
Let's think it through. Let's make sense of it from an eternal perspective, perhaps, or from my perspective for your life and your health and your prosperity. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like what? Everybody together. Scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. You know, you think about that and you say, well, God, you know, you're, you're willing to clean me up. I'm getting dirty on this path. You're willing to clean me up. You're willing to take my sins that are red like scarlet and make them as white as snow. Wow, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, he says in verse 19, if you're willing and obedient, he'll give you another reason. You will eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, what will will happen to you? You shall be devoured by the sword. Now, wouldn't that be reason enough? Here's a God who cares about my safety and my concern. Do you remember in the New Testament, and I bring this to your attention because it's critical for us to understand that God has given us minds to think. And a lot of times we look at this generation and we say, boy, I'll tell you what, we're not doing a whole lot of thinking, are we? We're not thinking things through very carefully. We're just working on impulse. We're just moving by the seat of our pants. When the Apostle Paul would go into a city and he would share the gospel, I just want to give you three quick illustrations. They're in Acts chapter 17 and uh, 18. But the Bible tells us that he went into the city of Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, verse 1. And Paul, as his custom was in verse 2, went into them, and for three Sabbath days he what? He reasoned with them from the Scriptures. He said, listen, I realize that you need to be persuaded that what I'm sharing with you is true. And God is willing to sit down with us, and He's willing to talk with us, and He's willing to give to us reason so that we can be persuaded that what He is telling us to do is the right thing. So the Apostle Paul explained in verse 3, and he demonstrated that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And in verse 4, some of them were what? Persuaded. Chapter 18, when Paul gets over to Corinth, the Bible says he goes to Corinth. And in verse 3, in chapter 18, so because he was of the same trade, he met Aquila and Priscilla. They worked at making tents together. He stayed with them and worked worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And he did what? What did he do? He reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and in reasoning with them and getting people to think and getting people to to use their minds to, to look at the truth that he was sharing with them, the goal was that they would be what? Persuaded to accept the truth of what he was saying. When he moved over to the city of Ephesus in chapter 18, verse 19, he came to Ephesus and left them. But he himself entered the synagogues, and what did he do? He reasoned with the Jews. So I'm not surprised when God says to his people, Come, let us sit down and reason. I will share with you why I want you to do. I will give you the reasons for doing what I'm asking you to do. Now, there are words that highlight that. 
in Proverbs and all through the Bible. For instance, in chapter 3, verse 1, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments for... That little word for is now I'm going to give you the reason for it. And what is the reason for keeping that commandment? Length of days and what? Long life and what? Peace, they will be, will be added to you. Now, now, you know, when God uses one word and he describes your situation, that's great. When he uses a second word and combines it with the first word, that even makes it greater. And it's the greatest thing when he takes three words and puts them together. So if you want a satisfying life, because all of these length of days, long life, and peace would indicate that God wants you to live a satisfying, purposeful life. And that's reason enough for me to want to obey his commands. Look at verse 3, command number 2. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your what? Your heart. How do you get that into your heart? Well, you get it into your heart when you recognize the relationship that you have with God and you see God as a heavenly father, a parent who is willing to sit down and persuade you as to why you need to do what you need to do. And so he says, let mercy and truth. Now, I want to just say this to you. This is so critical. Sometimes the littlest things in Scripture mean really important things. We have a society today that is running rampant in sin because we don't understand verse 3, let not mercy and truth together be a part of your life. Together. Now, let me simply say this to you. Some translations will take the word mercy and translate it love. Some will take it and translate it kindness. It's all pretty much the same. Mercy is when someone looks at you and, 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 and with a disposition of grace and with a disposition of kindness and a disposition of love lets you off the hook. Right? That is why in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Bible tells us when God describes love for us, the, the Bible says that love is long-suffering, which means it's very, very patient. It's very, very patient. And while it is being very patient, it is what? Kind. Why do I say a society is running rampant in sin? Because we don't put words together. Well, love is a good thing, is it not? Is it ever a bad thing? If I love the world, is it a bad love? If I love evil, is it is a bad love? If I would take the, 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 the nature that God has created me as a man and I would happen to try to establish a relationship in love in a way that's inordinate, would that be sinful? Would my love be sinful? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Bible is clear on all of that. You see, so it's important for us to see how words are matched together. And God says that we are to let love or mercy and kindness be mixed together with truth. If we're to love people, we're to love in 
truth, right? Or our love can be sinful. Wow. Um, what's the reason in verse 4? So that we can find what? Favor and high esteem in the sight of God and in the sight of man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. And I will tell you, this is one of the, this is one of the biggest problems that we have in our day and age because we tend to lean on our own understanding. We tend to see what's right in our own eyes and we'll do anything in this world to justify what we want to do We'll do anything to justify what we want to do because we think it's okay in our own eyes. We do. We do. And that is why later on in this passage of Scripture, God will tell us that one of the things we need to do is find wisdom and gain understanding because happy is the man who does that. And we need to know where to find it. We need to know how to find it. It's important for all of that to happen. But you, if you're stuck up here in verse 5 where God says, trust him and don't lean on your own understanding, you say, well, I'm not so sure. I want to, uh, I, surely, surely I can work out a way where this is okay with the Lord. I got it all figured out. I think it's okay. If you're stuck up there, you're going to have a problem, you see. He says, number one, the Bible tells you that the God says to you that if you will trust him, he will direct your path. And it is God, do you think God is ever going to direct you in a path that's wrong? No, it's always going to be right. It may be windy. It may be a path through uh, the, valley of the, va- the valley of the shadow of death. It may be a path that goes, takes you up over the mountains. But it's going to be the path that he has chosen for you, and it's always going to be right. And he will direct your paths. He will will be a roadmap for you and I in this life of intersections and wondering where to go. You ever been to an intersection and you ever sat there and say, I don't know where to go. Now, ladies, you probably have never done that because you got that map right there. But if we guys, you know what we do. I think this road probably goes there. See? Well, let's look at a couple of other a couple of others of these before we conclude here this morning. Verse 9, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the fruit fruits of all your increase. I don't even try to defend this anymore. I just say to people, try it out. You know, God tells you in Malachi, test me. Test me. Because what does God promise if you honor the Lord with your possessions and the first fruits of all your increase? Verse 10, your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. I love sharing and about every five years or so I share from this pulpit the lives of people like Welch. You're familiar with him, grape juice. Missionary couldn't go to the mission field but wanted to, wanted to serve the Lord and make something for churches, communions. I share the life of Hines, H.J. Hines, who grew up in Pittsburgh, built the biggest food um, company in the world. And he loved the Lord, was a deacon in his church, a Sunday superintendent, would go out door to door, knocking on thousands of homes. But he honored the Lord with his possessions, just like Welch did. Crowley, the 
founder of Quaker Oats, Colgate, William Colgate, the founder of Colgate Products, J.L. Kraft, the founder of J.L. Kraft. All of these men who, who love the Lord honor the Lord with their possessions. And I could go on and on and on. I'm just giving you um, food. <laughs> I could go to merchandise, but uh, food is one of my favorite things. Sorry. <laughs> anyway, if we honor him with our possessions, our barns will be filled with plenty and our vats will overflow with new wine. That doesn't mean you don't have periods of poverty. It doesn't mean you don't go through trouble and trials. But God works them out because he wants us to be. He wants us to know that he will honor his word. Let's put it that way. My son, verse 11, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. How many times we chafe under the chastening of the Lord? How many times when a problem comes or a trial comes that we get corrected and we know? In our hearts we know the Lord is correcting us. We know the Lord is, is, trying to, is making an effort to put us on the right path to help us to think differently about things. The Bible says that if we love the Lord, if we understand that it comes from God, we need to understand in verse 12 that the reason is that God loves those He corrects and He delights in us. I want to know that the Lord is delighted in me. If He never spanks me, then I don't know whether or not He cares. Um, Gary Smalley, who wrote this book, gives us a quick illustration on discipline here and I think I'll just share it with you. He starts chapter 2 out with these words, My heart sank when I saw the police car pull into our driveway. I knew why it was there. Too scared to move, I sat still, trying to look innocent while my mother opened the door. The officer introduced himself, then turned to me. Have you been with your friend Jimmy today? He asked. Yes, I said, trying to be best to hide my nervousness. I see him all the time. When were you down at the river with him? Were you down there today? No, I wasn't anywhere near the river. The officer looked at my mother and then back at me. Jimmy told me you were down there with him at the river. He also said that two of you broke into one of the homes there. I could feel the blood rushing to my face as I shook my head in denial. The officer kept talking. You're going to have to appear before juvenile court next week, don't you? You understand that. And and I'm going to have witnesses there, so... The implication is you better fess up now. I began to cry and then admitted everything. I was down at the river. We did break into a house, but we only took a couple of small items. This wasn't my first brush with trouble. A few of the town merchants had accused me of stealing money and items from their stores. I hadn't stole anything from them, but my reputation was already established, so they suspected me anyway. Why do I share that with you? Because of what he says next. There were rumors going around town that I probably would end up in reform school. Growing up, basically, growing up, I basically did what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. I'm sure I deserved hundreds of spankings for my actions and irresponsible attitude as a child, but my parents never once disciplined me. And I just see the sadness when he said that. My parents never once disciplined me. And he admits, as a result, there have been many areas where I have had difficulty adjusting as an adult. 
For one thing, rules never apply to me. If a sign says no parking, I may park there anyway because I'm an exception. Because there were no rules in my house, I figured rules were for others, not me. But my parents didn't care enough to discipline me. Now, God used his life, obviously. Gary Smalley went on to uh, deal with lots and lots and lots of issues. Uh, Love the Lord, wonderful family, and was able to pass on great biblical information to all of us. But that hurt. God loves you. God loves me. And because he does, he's going to discipline us. He is going to discipline us. Well, we're going to have to wrap this up, but I want you to see one other thing real quick before we do that. I want you to see verse 13. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. You see, the problem is you're not going to find it in your own eyes. You're not going to find wisdom in your own understanding. The implication here is that you're going to find it in God. You're going to find it in His Word. Do you remember that after Paul was at Thessalonica and the Bible says that he reasoned in the synagogues there? You may not know this, but he went to Berea after that. And you know what he said of the people at Berea? He says, you know, the people at Berea was a little bit more fair-minded than the people at Thessalonica. Because when I shared the gospel with them, did I have to reason with them? Oh, yes, I had to reason with them. Did I have to persuade them? Oh, yes, I had to persuade them. But you see, they were on the right foot from the start because they immediately, they said, we know, Paul, we know where to go to get the answers. We know where to go to find out if what you're telling us is true or not. We know to search the scriptures, and they went right to the scriptures to be persuaded of what the apostle Paul was saying. That's implied here. That's implied here. Happy is the man. And by the way, by the way, the command is implied by an example. Happy is the man. Look at happy people who have found wisdom and happy people who have gained understanding. And you're going to find out that they're, they're going to find out that all of these things in verses 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, and an illustration in 19 and 20 have come true. Now you can read them on your own. You can read them at your leisure. You can read what God is willing to do with the one who has wisdom and understanding, godly wisdom and godly understanding, not from his own mind and not from his own eyes. You can read that. And he gives a final illustration. If you and I aren't convinced that we need to turn to the Lord for wisdom, he gives us a final illustration in verses 19 and 20. And he says to us, listen, he says, listen, 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 listen. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. did it by wisdom intelligent design he founded the earth by understanding he established the heavens by his knowledge the depths were broken up referring to genesis chapter 7 and the flood of noah's day and the clouds dropped down the dew this is god this is the god who offers the wisdom and the understanding you and i need to navigate through life in the way that god wants us to navigate you can look at several other commands there. You can read them. You can analyze them very, very carefully. Uh, I would simply say to you that the best thing you can do is to make sure that you are spending your time, every time you read a commandment in Scripture, anytime God tells you what to do, and this little thing in your, little thing, guy on the one shoulder says to you, oh, another thing he wants you to do. 
best thing you can do is say, okay, I'm going I'm, I'm, I'm to ask the Lord why he wants me to do it. I'm going to search the scriptures to find out why he wants me to do it. There's always going to be a good reason. It's always going to be the best reason. Amen? Amen. Amen. You know, God so loved us that he is willing to guide us through this life, but he's willing to guide us through eternity as well, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not, what? Perish but have everlasting life. There's the reason why Jesus died. God gave us the reason. Jesus died as the substitute for our sin. He died in our place. He took upon the penalty of God that you and I deserve. And God poured out his wrath on Christ instead of pouring it out on you and me. And if we trust Christ, guess what? We have eternal life. We have eternal life. Will you come to him? Will you respond in faith to Christ? Will you say, you know, the gospel is pretty clear it comes from a God who is just. Sin has to be dealt with. It has to be paid. The wages have to be given. But God came up with a plan to pay the wages in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. God became a man. He took on the form of a man and died in our place in the person of Christ. I'm telling you, that's pretty powerful reason to obey God's directive to trust Christ. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we pray, Lord, that as we, as we think of your word, that, Father, we can obey it from the heart, and obey it from the heart because the relationship that we have with you is one where we trust you. We know, Lord, your reasons are right, and they're perfect. Your mind is perfect in every way. No flaws in your thinking whatsoever. So, Father, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.